the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <coughs> Two times a year, the church gives us the demoniacs. In the Gospel of Matthew, it's two demoniacs. In the Gospel of Luke, which we read in the fall, it's one, which also is recounted in the Gospel of Mark as well. So we face these demon-possessed people, demoniacs, a word that we don't really use much because it's so startling. The idea of someone who is so completely enslaved and that's the setting that we come to when Christ comes across the Sea of Galilee. And these two demoniacs come before him out of the tombs, as it said. In the Gospel of Luke, it says of the demoniac that the demon seized him and he was driven by the demon into the wilderness. And in the Gospel of Luke, it says, Always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Such a tragic picture. This person or these two people who are completely enslaved, have no control over themselves, and are living this wild life off away from everyone, crying out, hurting themselves, living in tombs, wandering about with no home, it seems so very different from us. And yet, and yet, the church gives us this gospel reading twice, two times in the year, to remind us of what we have in common with them. Not that our life is so different from them, not that their life is so inaccessible to us, but rather, how am I like the demoniac? How am I demon-possessed? These very harsh words. Are any of us freed of the passions? Raise your hand if you are. <laughs> if you're not, then you have demons at work in your life. This is the reality of the spiritual life. Thanks be to God, we also have angels at work in our life and saints. But we have demons at work in our life. And we must recognize this. We must recognize the gravity, the seriousness of what we face in our daily lives. It is not just I get up, I go to work, I do my things, I pursue with the things I desire, aim for my goals, etc., etc. It's not. It's a spiritual warfare that is occurring. And when we hear the story of these demoniacs, it makes that front and center clear. It's a spiritual warfare, a warfare against the enemy that seeks to crush us and enslave us. And how much we are very, our minds are clouded. We think with our minds so much, but so much our mind is clouded over by all the different passions that we have going on. How logical something seems in our anger and rage, that this is what I need to do and what must happen right now. Or when we envy other people, how much it just seems right and even good to have that negative feeling towards them, or to be happy when something bad happens to them. Our mind is very clouded. Our mind is overcome by all of these other things. 
And we're wading through that, trying to wander through that. One of our most fundamental problems is that we don't know how enslaved we are. We trust ourselves. We trust our thoughts. And then our thoughts lead us down these paths, often to so many things. Descartes famously said, I think, therefore I am. This is sort of our Western inheritance, is that our mind is the thing that's going to sort everything out. It's going to figure everything out. It's going to solve all the problems and come up with all the solutions. And in our orthodox inheritance, it's don't trust your thoughts. When you think of Descartes, I think, therefore I am, put that into the demoniac that we just heard in the gospel. Kim there living in the tombs, yelling and crying out, but saying, I think, therefore I am. We are so enslaved. We must realize this. Because ultimately this is us. Because of our slavery to the passions, we continue night and day wandering in the tombs and in the wilderness. As these thoughts, we wake up in the morning with these thoughts. Our mind racing and racing and running, being fed by whatever fear or worry or anxiety or whatever else that's driving it. That's what's driving our thoughts. So we're very much like the demoniac, wandering about day and night. Maybe we're not crying out audibly, but we certainly are having a whole lot of conversation in our heads. And when it said that he was in the wilderness and in the tombs, this is symbolic for us as well. The tombs symbolize our movement towards death, our movement away from the life giver. Because when we sin, what are we doing? We're turning away from God, who is the source of life, and that means we are turning towards death. We're turning towards sin, death, and corruption, is the language that we use within the church. When we turn away from life, we turn towards death. And so every time that we engage in sin, it's a movement towards death. It's a movement away from God. And God doesn't desire this. He wants to bring us into life and into fullness of life. But we have all these thoughts that keep running through our minds. And when it said he was in the wilderness, this is the other thing that happens when we sin, is we move towards aloneness, towards isolation. Anything that is of God, that is godly, is a movement of bringing us together with each other, having greater love, having greater compassion, forgiveness, all of these things. And the opposite of that, what we call sin, is a movement towards me and myself. What I want, how I think is better, and what I need in my life, and all of that is a movement ultimately to being isolated by ourselves. Which is exactly where the enemy wants us. He wants us to be isolated by ourselves rather than in communion and in community. These are our two struggles, living in the, the tombs and living in the wilderness. But fortunately, we're not entirely oblivious of this. We see our sin, and we want to fix it. In one of the Gospels of this account, it talks about how he was chained, and he broke the chains. So often when we struggle with sin, especially if we feel really ashamed about it, 
we want to find any solution we can to fix it. How can I make myself stop looking like a fool in front of those people? How can I make myself not be angry anymore? How can I make myself this and that and that? And while it seems like a good desire, what's the struggle in there? It's that we're trying to fix ourselves. And how far are we going to get if we're the source of our brokenness, if we're now going to try and fix ourselves? And so again, that image, the chains are there trying to keep his passions at bay, if you will. But he breaks free of them and continues being enslaved to the passions. And so often, this is us in our lives. So we must seek healing. And this is the one part that I'll go to that isn't in the gospel passage today, which in the gospel of Matthew, it doesn't really talk about what happened to the demoniacs after they were healed. The gospel of Mark and gospel of Luke, it does. It says three things. The people who had the pigs that ran down into the ocean, into the sea, they went back to the village to tell everyone what had happened. They come back and they find they find the demoniac clothed in his right mind and sitting at the foot of Jesus. Those three things, clothed in his right mind and sitting at the feet of Jesus. This is the, the key to our own healing. What does it mean to be clothed? Well, certainly it means baptism, to put on Christ as the hymns of the church say. We put on Christ. But all of the sacraments are those ways in which we're clothing ourselves in God's grace. We're not stripped naked trying to work things out ourselves. But we clothe ourselves in God's grace and everything that constitutes the life in Christ, everything that is the life in the church, is a way that we clothe ourselves. What does it mean to be in our right mind? Well, we really should say it means to not be in our mind to be in our noose instead. That God-sensing capacity that we have that is totally overrun by the, the machinations of our mind. Our mind goes wandering all over the place and we go following it everywhere. If we can quiet our mind through prayer, through fasting, through vigilance, quiet our mind, then we can begin to operate as God intended it, operating with our heart, our noose. And in this way, then we can be in our right mind. And lastly, sitting at the feet of Jesus. What this means is utterly rejecting our ego. Humbling ourselves. Not trying to say, I'm going to fix it, I can fix myself, and this is what I can do. Or worse yet, to keep pursuing these things in our life. But to humbly place ourselves at the foot of Jesus. Clothed in our right minds, sitting at the foot of Jesus. As a last note, we always know from this gospel reading, what do the villagers do? They all come out after the swine. And one of the gospel accounts that said, a herd of 2,000 swine. It was a big herd. Imagine that running down into the Sea of Galilee. And all the people, they come back from the village, having seen this great miracle, and they say to him, not like the Samaritans who say, come stay with us. They say, go to Christ. Go away from here. Can you believe this? Sending away their salvation. It's a very startling to us because so many times our Lord comes to us through the circumstances in our life and we say, no thank you, I don't want that. 
I'll just continue doing what I'm doing here. So may we leave the tombs, leave the wilderness, leave the chattering in our minds, be clothed, be in our right mind, and be sitting at the foot of Jesus. Amen.